So today we will move into a different direction. We will return to the three characteristics, but I thought it's good to bring in the Tibetan tradition, a more analytical, um, logical way to move into to move into um, freedom. And uh, the first thing I want to introduce you with is uh, a reasoning from Shandakirti, an Indian master who is very important in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. It's called the Sevenfold Reasoning. And I'm not going to introduce you today, so I'm going to prepare you to the introduction of the Sevenfold Reasoning. But before I start to talk, let's take some time to arrive and do a short mentor, mentor bonding process. So it's not a mental bonding process, mentor bonding process. And then also, uh, in the end, the invitation to connect with the bodhisattva intention, the bodhicitta intention. But first, take some time to check in and if you like you can close your eyes. making connection, contact with your inner life and how you feel. What you bring with you. part of that you drop from the head into the body. You can start with a kind of body scan, very simple, sliding down into your feet and noticing your posture, appreciating the flow of energy in your body even if there's something slightly difficult happening right now. Shifting from the controlling and improving trying to get somewhere, 
without disconnecting from the environment, from the people around you, <coughs> but emphasizing the sense of aliveness, supports you, you can slide on the in-breath, otherwise you just feel into your hands and your belly, your shoulders, And notice how the chair or the floor carries you. And maybe you can soften a bit into that. the breath and your awareness as a hug, like taking you in your own, into your own arms. If you notice that you want to get rid of something or you want to attain something, you soften that grasping. Then if you find yourself entangled in your thoughts, that's fine. And there's a possibility that you then slide back into the trunk of your body, maybe to your hands or your belly, the breath, so that the thoughts can come and go. but they are less important. So for a few moments, give up on your thinking. Without stopping it, just give up on it. Then even if there's some movements, maybe a restlessness or whatever is on your heart, 
Maybe you can also appreciate for glimpses the stillness which is arising when we sit quietly together, protected by the teachings of the Buddha. So even if you don't feel peaceful, peace is also happening. Make the sound just a part of your experience. <coughs> and then returning. giving yourself a little break. And then out of this shared silence in the space in front of us, spontaneously manifests a mentor, male or female, Buddhist or non-Buddhist. It could be also a few. You don't need to have a stable image. Just get a sense that we are calling upon the Bodhisattva angels who flock in and filling the space in front of you and around you with their presence, with their light, with their warmth. Maybe it makes sense to call upon the Buddha and the Karmapa, Dalai Lama. And you notice their loving gaze and their smile. They look at you, they see you, and they love you, whatever is there. And you allow yourself to feel this presence in your whole body as if you're bathing in it. As if you're held and protected by a bunch of angels. And you're aware that we're doing the same thing and that right now countless others holding their angels 
into their homes and into the temple or monastery meditation center. Just by sitting in the presence, in the light or warmth, and also into the in the scent, the scent of loving kindness. There's also the sound of their voices. They might talk with each other or talk to you. just by sitting there you become more like them if there's something unresolved in your heart you hold it into the wisdom and the love of the bodhisattva angels the loving gaze of the Buddha. possible surrender the problems and the struggles to them. Let them take care of it. Then your mantras dissolve into light or warmth and that comes into your chest and you become aware of the Buddha within, the Goddess within. If it helps you, you might see a Buddha or a Tara or a diamond, a lotus in your heart. the source of your love, the source of your creativity, and from the Buddha within, from the Goddess within, the warmth and the light spreads out into your body. And you radiate warmth, light, love, even the scent 
of loving kindness. into all directions, as if you are bodhisattva angels, as if you are Buddha yourself, a goddess. And you notice that also the miserable eye is held in that love from the Buddha within. Maybe it's possible to shift a bit the sense of I, the sense of the center towards the goddess, into the, into the source, into the source of your being. So breathe a bit into the heart chakra or the chest and gently And you remind yourself that the goddess within is always there, has been, is, and will be undestructible, uncorruptible, unpoisonable. Your capacity to love is always there. just need to contact it or trust it. Then in the end of our first meditation, I invite you to connect with the calling of your life. Can you find that place where you know that you want to grow? that you want to grow up and wake up, heal,
for the benefit of all. Making your life truly meaningful. important for you? Why are you here? Here today, but also here in this body, in this life. Then again, I want to conclude with Shantideva's warrior cry, the warrior cry of the Bodhisattva. As long as space remains, as long as there are struggling, lost, suffering, brothers and sisters, parents and children, lovers and friends. I too shall remain. In order to relieve their pain. According to the Buddhist teachings, the biggest impediment for our capacity to love, to, to express love, to be loved, to give love, uh, the biggest impediment is uh, the identification with the solid, separate, singular self, with a central position, the identification with a central position. So any kind of compassionate practice without that is kind of fake. It might be even kind of an idiot compassion, a neurotic compassion, coming out, out, out of a need, like wanting to be good so that other people are good, or faking to be good because you're just afraid to speak up, stuff like that. So genuine, uh, the genuine compassion needs to be combined with wisdom. 
So, so far we have looked at uh, the Theravada approach, you know, looking into the three characteristics, Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. We will return to that. But now I want to move a bit into the Tibetan tradition, particularly in what is called the Nalanda tradition. So Nalanda was a monastery, a, a place of practice and study in India. It was destroyed in the 12th century. But um, particularly the Guluk tradition uh, of Tibetan Buddhism traces itself back to, to, to Nalanda, to that monastery. So, and one of the guys uh, who studied there was Shandakirti. And Shandakirti's text is one of the main texts the Tibetan monks and nuns study to understand and then have an experience of no self or of emptiness. So this analytical approach, kind of a logical approach, might trigger some resistance in some of you. Because first, you know, we have a sense we think already too much, and now I should do more thinking, and we feel kind of tired of thinking. Um, and that's understandable. So maybe in the end of this, uh, you find out, yeah, so for me, it's really more this kind of looking at my experience. So that makes more sense for me, and that's all also what I need. So that could be a conclusion. But I would like to encourage you a bit uh, to be curious about what we're exploring now, and also, if possible, to put some passionate effort into this. So we are going to use logical reasoning or logical thinking. So kind of we, we know, so far we just looked into our experience of what is. But now we will use our conceptual mind, our analytical mind. And there might be also a challenge for some of you in, in using logic. Because there is a kind of myth around, you know, that nothing can, you know, nothing is really true and everything is possible and there's maybe hidden dimensions uh, and, you know, and kind of don't think about the big mystery because that's just a waste of time, yeah. So the, it's a kind of contempt towards uh, the analytical <laughs> mind. So in this kind of a reasoning way, you need to be able to think through something, yeah, step by step, and then come to a conclusion. And then not shrug off the conclusion, like, ah, this is just thoughts, this is just my, my, you know, my conclusion, it's not worth anything. But to kind of use your, your uh, use reasoning uh, and then be, be impressed by the result of your reasoning and not kind of gloss over it or think yeah, this is just, you know, next, tomorrow I think something else. Yeah. Or tomorrow I read another book and, and, and so uh, then, then, you know, so, so that wouldn't be so good. 
uh, because th then this method will not oppress you if, if you bring this kind of attitudes into this. And for some of people, some of you will find, well, that's excellent. Finally, I can use this wonderful, logical, rational mind. I like it. Yeah. So it's, it's different. There's also maybe this kind of feeling in you, ah, oh, this is philosophy, it has nothing to do with my life, uh, I'm too stupid for this, I can't follow this, it does not make sense. Uh, so there, this is like uh, you know, a kind of laziness, uh, laziness which comes from I'm not good enough. This is beyond my, my intelligence, or this is, and I promise you, that you are sitting here, you know, kind of, you know, educated Swedish people, you can all understand this reasoning. It is not like, you don't need to have a PhD for this. Yeah. But there, there might be a sense of like a resistance, a resistance of, of using, uh, using your analytical conceptual mind in this way. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have that resistance, just notice it. There's also this myth, and sometimes I contribute to this myth, uh, uh, that is uh, that emptiness can't be understood. And in a sense, this is true, because emptiness is undescribable. But the Tibetan tradition holds that without a clear, rational understanding, uh, you are you you will not be able to go beyond the rational understanding so you kind of from the tibetan tradition what they say is you need to use the conceptual mind your rational logic of thinking to go beyond thinking but to that place to get to that place your your kind of thinking needs to be structured and you need to be able to keep three or four points in your mind and follow them to the end, and then, yeah, and then, then that which is undescribable can make an impression on you. Many Tibetan Tibetans, particularly in the Guluk tradition, are very strong in this point. You know, they would laugh about people who, you know, who th who meditate on awareness or something like that, yeah. recognizing awareness or something like that. They say if you do that without uh, without that kind of reasoning and have gone through a, uh, through an understanding, you're wasting your time. I, I'm not saying I, I completely agree with that, but that's what, what they would say, particularly in the Guluk tradition. So assume, uh, let's assume that. Maybe they're right. Yeah? So we can give it the benefit of the doubts. If the Dalai Lama says it, and Lama Tsongkhapa, okay, so... Hmm.
So. What is one of the first step, steps in this? Before, you go, before we go into the reasonings of Shandakirti, the seven, sevenfold reasoning. Uh, I give you an example of this kind of logic. Yeah? So let's say, let's, let's assume that there is an, a self, an, a, a solid, separate, singular self. So if there is a thing like that, it needs to be findable. Where? There's two options, either here or there. And this covers everything. So that's the, this kind of thinking. Okay, if it exists, it needs to be here or there. So that, that's like two things you have to have in mind. And you have to come, you have to think about it. Like, is it, is it the case? And maybe you notice, yeah, maybe there's something I can't think around. No, if it exists, it's either here or there. And this is, this is it. So now you look. So you look in the you look here. Okay, is the self here? Is it there? Okay, so that's covered. I do, we, we, do, we will do that in more detail. I'm just giving you a, a, a sense of this kind of reasoning. So, and then you look here. So, body, mind, thoughts, feelings, the whole five skandhas. Yeah. Uh, one way to kind of put this in some categories. Uh, we might go into that a bit, but it's not necessary. So, and then you look. So, and then, if you don't find it, it does not exist. And that not finding needs to make an impression on you. So you, you have in mind, okay, if it exists, it needs to be findable here and here, and I've looked. Conclusion is, it, it does not exist because I didn't find it. Yeah, and, then, so, and then if you come to that conclusion, your mind needs to be so stable in the reasoning, and it needs to make sense for you, the reasoning, that you actually are impressed by not finding. And that is emptiness, the not finding. So here, emptiness is a non-affirmative negation. It's called non-affirmative negation. So what that means, non-affirmative is, you don't, you know, it's like an affirmative negation would be, okay, it's not here, so it needs to be somewhere else, maybe in, the, in heaven or why, you know. It, so a non-affirmative negation is, I can't find it, it does not exist, not more. Oh, but who am I then, awareness or God or I'm everyone? No, nothing like that. It's just 
I can't find, boah, wow. <laughs> so how can we, not finding something, make an impression? I give you an example. Someone dies. And, 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 you, know, and you come home, and you don't find that person anymore. You don't find that body anymore. And it's like, Wow. So in an affirmative negation would be you come home and the person is not there and you think, ah, he must go, sh he must be shopping. Yeah. So a non-affirmative uh, negation is it's gone. I can't find. And this it, it makes a it makes a big impression. Like if you went to work for 30 years and there was always the, f the same person in, in the first office you crossed, and suddenly that person is not there anymore. It's like, wow. So for, for this reasoning to work, forget everything, your nature of mind, awareness, I'm awareness, I'm the big self or something. Forget all of this. This comes later, maybe. We add that, maybe. Yeah. But, but here, uh, it's this... Uh, so we don't kind of seek comfort then into an idea of a higher self or I am awareness or something like that. Because then you do the thing of you know, making, uh, making stories and you know, creating something, making something up. Who did die then, where there, where there is no self? Who did die? The person. The person. It's obvious, or I mean, you die and you're dead, and you don't come anymore for to the uh, to the meditation. You're finished. And then, <coughs> what is it that uh, survived to the next life? So that's what we're not looking at now. Yeah. It's a good question. It's a good question. But uh, that, that's not part of this. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you can see how you know, we are seeking, but there must be something. Yeah. And and that's that's uh, that's not wrong or something like that. But uh, uh, for for this uh, now for this approach, um, we we use the non-finding, the experience of non-finding. So now we need to be clear about the target in, in the in in the. In these teachings, it's called the object of negation or the object of refutation. We need to be clear about that. So we need to be clear of what we are looking for. So don't undermine this by, eh, I know already that I don't find it. Because intellectually, it's, 
it's uh, it's uh, no. I mean, you read one book about no self, and then you have understood it intellectually. But but you need to go through this reasoning and not find again and again and again. Some people need to do this for 10, 15, 20 years. It's it's very rare that you know, that some people they they kind of they do okay non-finding and then that's it. It happens, but I wouldn't put my whole card deck on it. And then those of you who have uh, received teachings on this, you know, we get lazy, kind of ah oh, again you know. Again, to, should I again look for something which I already know does not is it does not exist? Yes. And by the way, you need to develop shamatha. Yeah, because you need to be able to pause in the non-finding. But if you like. If you come to the non-finding and then you think about your bill or something like that, then that experience of emptiness can't can't really, uh, you know, penetrate your whole psyche, your whole being. So one of the reasons why this analytical practice is difficult for you, our mind is all over the place. So that's why. You know, I, I taught shamatha first, and we have all, all, uh, all uh, cultivate stable attention by now. So you do, you know. So it's not. I'm not saying you have to commit just to one method. So you know, we we, we alternate and cultivate different things at the same time in our practice. So the target, gaksha in in Tibetan the object of refutation, the object of negation. This is important. I say a few things about what, what it is not. It's not personality. It's not your social self. It's not the ego. At least, you know, when you use the ego in a psychodynamic sense. Uh, it's not your... It, it, it's the object, the, the target is not your memories or your habits or your feelings or so that's not the target so thinking of like i need to overcome my ego i need to destroy the ego does not make sense here in a way it would make more sense actually more you realize no self stronger your ego will be and here ego in a psychodynamic sense meaning no ego strength as a uh, a capacity not to be enslaved by every urge, by every feeling. So that's that's called ego strength. So it, it's it, it sounds paradox paradoxically, but paradoxically, yeah. But so with with realizing no self, you will a, 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 a more healthy ego strength will arise will arise. So, from, from this point of view, the Buddha has the biggest ego. <laughs> yeah? Of course, ego, what we often mean is, you know, this narcissistic self-importance. 
the process of narcissistic self-importance. You can call that the ego, yeah? but you have to be aware what you mean when you say that, what, when you say ego, my ego. No. So the target is actually the I who has the ego, that I, that's the target. So what? So you you don't lose anything in this process. You don't destroy anything. You just discover that something which you believed very strongly into does not exist. It's unfindable. That's all. And that that something. Uh, which you discover does not exist. That is the reason for your reactivity. That's the reason for your sense of separateness. That's the reason for narcissistic self-importance. So, the target, the target has three characteristics. First, it is one, it is singular. Yeah? It's, it's one. This is an important point. It will become clear later in, when we use another reasoning, the diamond sliver, sliver from Nagajuni, Nagajuna. Um, so it's one. We have a sense that there's one. So it's good to, you know, so it's, my homework for you will be to get a sense of, to get a sense of the self, to get a sense of that contraction, that center position, that that to get a sense of um, of that contraction, which is which is interestingly <laughs> attaching itself to different things. You know, sometimes it's like the body. Sometimes it's more the thought. Sometimes it's the personality. Sometimes it's the feeling I'm not good enough. Sometimes it's uh, the social roles you play. Sometimes it's some idea of a higher self or something like that. So that, that, that sense of self can attach itself to different things. So, but the, home, the homework is, when I say I, when I feel I, the sense of me, what, what is that? Where is that? Where do I feel that? What, what is it what I'm identified with? So... That is singular. For example, you have a sense that the one who came here this evening is the one who is still sitting here on the chair. It's also the same one who wake, woke up this morning. And it's the same one who had a fucked up childhood. And it's the same one who will die. And it's one. It's me. <laughs> Obvious. 
It's me. I came here and I'm sitting still here on this chair. And there's a sense of that. There's a sense, like kind of, right now it's a bit here for me. Yeah. Second, it's autonomous. So what that means is um, it, it has an essence, like it's findable. There's an essence there, a, a, a remaining essence. And that essence is separate. It kind of, it either has this or lives in this or is part of it or maybe lives in this somewhere else for some people, yeah, but there is this kind of separate from everything else, findable, and that has an essence, and it's me. <clears throat> so that's the second, it's autonomous, separate. It exists out of, out of itself. It's self-powered, with different words, Inher inherent, they call it also. It exists inherently. And somehow it's connected with this. Either it's the victim of it, or it's the controller of it, or it's the it's like a little being moving around. <laughs> yeah, or it's it's like in the, no, it's like in the center of the, your head, looking out, uh, using your eyes and looking out. But it's autonomous; it's separate from it. <coughs> so that's the second, and and the third is it is unchanging. So there is a sense, as I said already, there is a sense that. There is some essence traveled uh, through your life, some essence. And some people would even say that essence travels from life to life, which is not, you know, this is not the Buddhist teaching. So in that way, reincarnation, as many people understand it, is not a Buddhist teaching. So... And for spiritual people, it's like, I am one with everything. Yeah? I. <laughs> or they say, I am awareness or something like that. I. That's like the super narcissist, narcissistic inflation. Yeah? And, and uh, you know, in the Buddhist cosmology, they say, sometimes this happens to beings. You know, they find themselves alone and they start to notice their magic powers and they start to create stuff and they think they are God. And they are confused from, from, from the Buddhist point of view. So Allah is confused. From, 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 from the Tibetan Buddhist view, he, he should become a Buddhist. 
So, Auton autonomous, unchanging, singular. This is the target. So if you think about a bit about this, then it's obvious that something like this can't exist. So, but there's a sense. And this sense, according to the biblical teachings, is innate. It's inborn. We are born with it. There's also something acquired, acquired ignorance. So there's the innate ignorance that is, we are born with that sense of, or that potential also, a potential and, and a sense of uh, that central position. So we don't need to have an elaborate philosophy to have that sense. But there's acquired ignorance in the sense of you know certain system they, they say there's a soul or you know, there's a kind of essence jumping from life to life or people say that yeah there's the higher self and that's the wise self and it makes the decision to come here and uh, uh, so these kind of myths, they have their beauty and their value, so I'm not kind of re talking contempt of, contempt, with contempt about them, uh, but that's not, uh, that's not um, Buddhist teaching. Um, so, that's the target, that's the object of negation. And the first step is to get a sense, how is it for you? No? What are the stories about self for you on a conceptual level? But also, what is the sense of I? How does it arise? Don't look too close here, yeah? because then it's, it's going to slip. Yeah? But, um, but look, be curious about this. When I say I, what's the reference object? What do I mean with this? So when I say to someone, don't look at me like this. Don't look at me like this. So what is that? You know, what is it what I try to defend there? Um, it's initially might be easier, and now we have a break, and then I will lead a meditation to kind of, and that's why it's good to have a challenging daily life, because then we have a lot of opportunities to get to know the reactive eye. Yeah? Um, so initially, it might, it's helpful to, um, to, and that's what I'm going to do in the meditation, or kind of connecting you with situations in your life where you are challenged, where you become reactive, where you are exactly this kind of situation. How dare you to say this to me? Me! So, what is that me? What is the referent, reference object? You know, the body? Your name? Your feelings? Your thoughts? What's the reference of object? So, and then you get, you try to get the sense of. Uh, it's like a contraction in your whole energy system, which 
it, it ha doesn't have a stable place, which is you know fascinating to admit. Yeah, it, it's not like it's always here or always there, or it's not always your feelings. It's not always your body. I mean, if you look at me, the body doesn't care. But what does what is it? What cares? How you look at me? Because my father looked at me like that? But what is it? Yeah. Um, so, and then there's situations like when you are, you know, when you are anxious, when you, when you uh, worry about your reputation. Oh God, I've, I posted this horrible picture on Facebook from me. <laughs> ah, from me. And, it, I, and I look at it and it's the same. It's the me. You know, it's the one, the one singular, unchanging, autonomous me. And there it is, a horrible picture about me on Facebook. There's also you know, this idea of, yeah, but I'm the whole thing. I'm the whole thing. Okay, if you are the whole thing, then that I, which is the whole thing, needs to be something. I am the whole thing. What is that I? What is that I, which is the whole thing? Why don't you call it just the whole thing? <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, and then you make the whole thing big. Because it's silly to say the whole thing. Like this tiny thing out of the universe. The whole thing. <laughs> I mean, if you want to say the whole thing, say the whole thing. Uh, but... So that's a good beginning, but actually that sense of a central position of an observer is also there in, 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 in peace, when there's peace, when your mind calms down. Actually that sense of self is also there when some people think, I am awareness, I'm resting in awareness. So there is this, you know, I am resting in awareness and I'm so wonderful because I, I rest in awareness. Before I was thinking I'm this miserable self, but now I realize I am, I am awareness. Yeah? Or, you know, mindfulness practice, you know, going meta. Yeah? I am not my feelings. I am not my thoughts. Yeah? I am not, I am not this. This, which is a good thing. I mean, it's a big step to step out of your experience into the observer self. But that's the same. That's the target. The I who is awareness. Or the I who is not his feelings, his body, his thoughts. That I, that is the target. Also, the target is the I who wants to get enlightened. The I who is on the path. That's the target. I want to awaken. That I is the target. 
And awakening is a big disappointment for that I. Nobody ever awakened. Ever. <laughs> ever. There is nobody there who could, who could awaken. There is nobody there who could get enlightened. There is nobody on the path. So, that does not mean we, we, no, we need to erase our nice little stories about us and forget about our history and our obligations and our commitments. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean. Also, no. Part of the sense of I is is like this kind of stories. For example, your sense of I might be very uh, connected with uh, the story of I'm not good enough. So it's not only a sense of I; it's a sense of a miserable I. So you can keep that story, but. Realizing that it is a story might help you to be able to be more flexible in it. Okay, let's make a, a more healthy story and use that. Also, know the roles. Know the sense of I can be connected with roles. So some people, some teachers have a hell of a time if they realize that they are not that great when they move into areas where nobody knows them. I know that's from my own experience. And, and I really need to do that. So I need to go into spiritual circles where nobody gives a shit about me. But if I'm too... Uh, too, uh, too uh, identified with the role as a teacher. It's horrible. Do you want to live with someone like that? <laughs> so, realizing that, that these roles, they are flexible. Your personality is flexible. It's not, it's not, it's made up. It's, it's construction. So, so, you're not going to lose it, but you have more flexibility, more, more fun with it, and, and more freedom. Okay, sometimes I'm the mother, sometimes I'm the five years old, sometimes I'm the professional woman, sometimes I'm the lover. Some, yeah, even as a mother, you can be a lover. Yeah? But if you are too much in the mother, then why, well, you know? As a, as a teacher, you, can, you should be also a student. Okay, so now after the uh, meditation, we will.